0: everybody, welcome into another edition of To The Point Podcast where everybody's doing well. Today it is a Tuesday and as always on Tuesday, Seamus will, will join the show at about 5 p.m. We will get into a number of different things from across the world of sports because the last little while has just been a sports bonanza. I mean you have the NFL in full swing going through Thanksgiving, so you had your Thanksgiving Day games, everything that happened there. The NHL is in full bloom, as is the NBA. You have the World Cup, currently ongoing in Qatar. And I've been enjoying the five, early five o'clock games. Nice to have that on the on the go when you're on the treadmill in the morning. Unfortunately, those are done now. Every game starts at 11 a.m. Eastern. So that is no longer upon us. But you have the World Cup ongoing. England is playing the United States today. i uh, sorry. England's playing Wales today. Iran is playing the United States. Huge implications to see who will advance to the knockout round. When I get updates of the games, I will let you guys know if, if I learn the outcome of the game live. It was 25 minutes into both games when I started. No score. So that's where we sit. World Cup, you got... Baseball rumors, Justin Verlander's meeting the Los Angeles Dodgers today. So he could be leaving Houston potentially. The Houston Astros made a move themselves yesterday, adding a, a really good first baseman, a former MVP and Jose Abreu signing him to a three-year deal. I'll touch on that in a bit. I just that's another move for the Chicago White Sox. I look at them and say you drop the ball again because you let a former MVP walk out the door. And one of the pillars of that franchise for the last decade. Really the best player of that franchise for the last decade. But before we get there, today's word of the day here on To The Point is translate. And really what the regular season is, is a litmus test. And really what it is, is it's homework and the, the regular season, I my metaphor is homework because when you get homework, whether you're in university or in high school, you do the homework so you can see if you can try to apply yourself and see if you can learn the information so that you can pass your final exam or your final paper, whatever it might be. But you're trying to apply yourself so that you're in a better position down the road. And for a number of teams, this is what this regular season is about. A number of teams, they know they're gonna make the playoffs, We got great players. We'll rack up points. We'll win awards, whatever. But does your regular season success and the way you play translate into playoff success? And, you know, when you think of a team that has struggled to do this, the Toronto Maple Leafs come to mind. The Toronto Maple Leafs have been one of the best regular season teams over the last two to three seasons. They've had one of the best players in the world in Austin Matthews the last number of years. And Mitch Marner hasn't been far behind either. And they've had great months. They've won, av- they've won awards. They've had more pieces written about them than any other team in, na- in the National Hockey League, fair or unfair. But when you get to the first round of the playoffs and when you get to the big moments, that their style of play Those players have not been able to translate their, you know, have not been able to translate what they've learned. They've been a really bad student. They got into the final exam. They got into that test and they shit their pants. They didn't know what to do. They didn't study. They didn't know what they were doing. It was like me the first time I wrote my driving test. I didn't study the book. I didn't look at anything, and I failed it horribly because I didn't know how far you had to stop behind a car. I didn't know all the rules. I was just winging it, thinking this is no big deal. Now, I failed it two more times because I didn't look at the book after I lost the first time, so I was a really bad student. You could say I was a first-round exit a number of times myself, but eventually I passed it by hook or by crook. They might have pushed me through like they do – some school, some students now in schools, but so you, you see that with Toronto and for fans, I think of the Maple Leafs, cause I'm close with a number of them. All you hear is, well, this regular season doesn't matter. It only matters when you get to April. That's a tough way to look at life. That's a long approach. And if you're, if you can't celebrate the minor victories before you get to that big date, that's a long life. That's a long way to look at things. And I'm here to tell you, Leaf fans, I've been called a Leaf hater. I've been called a person that is way too hard on this team, that I'm not fair, even though I predicted that they'd win their division. And I predicted that they would win at least a round in the playoffs. But I'm a hater. The Leafs are playing style of hockey this season that I believe will translate in the postseason. The Toronto Maple Leafs last season were like the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers played a running gun style rope-a-dope, fling it, stretch pass, no defense, we don't give a shit, we'll let in five goals because we can score eight, and that's all fine and great until you run into the playoffs, the ice shrinks, and you're up shit creek without a paddle because you don't know how to play any defense. Your your systems are completely uh, just a wreck, and your team is in shambles because you're playing a team that is structured, that's been playing playoff hockey at least in, point, in part for aspects of the season, and they know what they're doing vis-a-vis who beat Florida and, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, yeah, the Tampa Bay Lightning. You might say, well, Florida won around. Yeah, they played the Washington Capitals, who play with no structure either. So that's why they won their series. Toronto didn't win the division, so they had to run into a bus saw in Tampa. Won seven, I don't care. You lost the game. This season is not about handshake lines, it's not about respect, it's not about Sheldon Keefe yelling at his players. It's about the Toronto Maple Leafs playing a style of hockey that can beat. Somebody, one of eight teams, come April. And I would be really happy if I was a Leaf fan right now. Because what I'm seeing is that October and the first start and the first period, if you will, of this season was trying to learn how to play a system. Trying to learn how to play good defensive hockey. Case in point, the Toronto Maple Leafs' defense score is beaten and battered. They're playing Victor Mete and Matt Colowell and Connor Timmins is going to draw in. But in that, the past couple games, how many high-quality scoring chances are the Maple Leafs giving up? Not that many. Against the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby looked awful. He played horrible in that game. I thought he broke his skate on the bench. He was whining. He was complaining. You might might be like, well, that's just an average night for Sidney Crosby," But he's having a great season. He can't wait. He's happy. He doesn't have to play the Maple Leafs again because he had no time, no space, and they didn't have the puck. If you're not going to be a big physical team, which Toronto will never be under Kyle Dubas, you need to have an identity and you need to commit to back-checking, to being in good positions and playing solid defensive hockey. That is what this team is doing. That is what they're trying to do here. It started with the addition of David Camp, because he's going to help your team no matter what. He might play the fourth-line role. I don't care. He's a really good player. Zach aston reese played with Sidney Crosby for a period of time. He knows what it's like to be on a good defensive line, that plays 200 feet, period. That's Aston Reese. He knew how to do it. You bring him in. Now, Dennis Mulligan, a guy I didn't have a whole lot of faith in, none at all, quite frankly, because he's 5'6", 140 pounds. I'm being facetious, but not really. He's fit into a role. He started to play pretty decent hockey. He can make his his mistake, but he knows his role. Austin Matthews has 11 goals, which isn't bad, but he hasn't been that great this season. He's been okay. But this team has committed to a style that starts with him. I think half of what's ailing him, and I'm trying to figure this out for the last three weeks, he's I think, looking at it saying, I want to take care of this zone because I already know I can master the other one and his goal might be plus-minus, which is not a good goal because it's a meaningless stat, but it might be, okay, we're good defensive metrics, so the underlying numbers tell you that Austin Matthews is one of the best defensive centers in, in, in the NHL, whatever it might be. But winning that battle, not allowing the other team's top line to score on you might be his focus. And he's gone through Nylander, he went through Marner, and there were times the line didn't look good. I think he knows you're the best player and you haven't beat anybody in the playoffs. If you're going to do it, you can't keep playing the same way and expect different results. Insanity. Figure out a way to do it differently. Try something different and see if it works. Toronto's built their team differently. Matt Murray's playing fantastic. But has he been great? I think that's splitting hairs really, and I would say, how many, how many great scoring chances did the opposition get tonight? And this isn't a shot at Matt Murray, this is applauding the team. Not that many. How many in tight chances does that Matt Murray have to make a save save on? Not that one, two, a nine? Where it's really high danger you're like, oh crap, and you you know, you get out of your seat a little bit. I don't see that many. I see a Matt Murray who's in his net, who's pretty comfortable, and doesn't have to worry all that much about what's going to happen because he can look around and say, I got a good defensive team in front of me, and I'll make that save when I have to. You know, he made a huge save on Kaprizov on Friday afternoon with 30 seconds left to keep the team in the game. But in that game, Toronto was a better team over Minnesota. Toronto was a better team over Pittsburgh Saturday. And Toronto was the better team than Detroit last night. Last night and something that is strange but true. Sandin, Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren have played better since Morgan Riley got hurt. And really have played better through all the injuries. Now there's a couple theories for this. Is it because they feel needed to step up because there's an injury? Or in my position on this, I think they're playing better because they know they can't lose the role that they have. There is nobody coming. There is nobody coming to take your spot. They know they're going to play over 20 minutes a night and get into big positions. Matt Colwell, Victor Mete are not taking those minutes. They are no threat. Connor Timmons, you know you're playing 20 to 22 minutes a night, period. That is going to happen. So you play with more freedom. Some guys need the push. There are athletes, there are people in life that perform better in their task when they know somebody's breathing down their neck. When they know, oh my God, I might lose my job here. Or somebody might take my position. Number one goalie plays better when the backup is somebody that's pretty, that's half decent. That isn't a, a, just a set number two. That isn't a Brian Elliott to Andre Vasilevsky. For me, Sandin and Logan have proven to me they play better when there's no threat. Sandin's played better. Since Riley got in a major, way, guess he was struggling to start the season. Lilligren's been solid all year long, but both of them look more comfortable. And I don't know what that says about these two players. But all I know since in the month of November, they've both been pretty good. They've both been pretty good. They're both getting bigger roles, and they seem to be comfortable with it. I mean, the same can be said for Justin Hall. Justin Hall was going to be cut from Toronto. He was going to be traded. He was much maligned. He was the new Jake Gardner, the whipping boy. I'm sure Justin Hall was on Twitter and he got death threats from Leaf fans because a lot of them are just scumbags. No offense, Leaf fans. There are a lot of good Leaf fans. I know a lot of them. There are people on social media that told Jake Gardner that they're going to go kill him Or that he should go kill himself after a Game 7 performance. That's sickening behavior that I'll never stand for. Justin Hall, I don't even got to speculate. I know he got it because people take this shit too seriously. I do a podcast about sports, but that's not how you approach it. You just say, okay. Justin Hall had a tough go. He played 27 minutes on Saturday. He played 26 last night. He is playing fantastic hockey. Can he be your number one defenseman to go to Stanley Cup? No. But to me, it was, I think he can He can fit in, and if he's got the right partner. And for the Leafs, here's your hope. You got Riley that will be back. You have Brody. Then you'll have Giordano and Hall, which I still don't think is a perfect pair. I expect Giordano to take a dip before the season's over. He's an old man. Maybe he won't. He's played great. That's just I look at wear and tear, the amount of minutes he's playing. I just think father time's undefeated, and Mark Giordano is not Tom Brady. And you have Lilligren and Sandine. That could be a good top six. In a perfect world, Kyle Dubas doesn't have to do much to that defense score to improve it at a trade deadline. you might add some depth. You might add a guy that's better than Mac Hallwell or Victor Mete. You can keep Jordy Bambi, add another defenseman. So you have eight guys that you feel comfortable with playing in a playoff series. That's what good teams do. They have options to put guys in if they need them to, if they need to. Then that frees the lease up to add another forward, which I think they want to do more than they, than they want to add a defenseman another scoring threat to this team, whoever that might be. As funny as that sounds, I think the Leafs want to add another, to me, another winger of substance, another guy that can create his own offense, score goals, and have an impact on a nightly basis that's not a defensive-minded player. You got Nylander, you got Matthews, you got Marner, you got Tavares. Yes. But Bunting's not a, an offensive player just through and through. He's not skilled enough. He's That's not the way he's wired. Yarncroft, no. Holmberg, no. Camp, no. Aston Reese, no. It would be timed out another forward that has some flair, that has some substantive you know, style of his game. I, I don't think it'll be big game hunting. Maybe it's Matthew Nyes. I saw him play in Edmonton. I wasn't impressed for Team United States at the World Juniors. But that's another option. The Maple Leafs will have Matthew Nyes available to them in all likelihood in March. Whenever his season's over at the University of Minnesota, I believe he'll leave school and become a pro. He might not be ready. But most times, these kids that come out of school get thrown into the NHL lineup no matter what. Cole Caulfield did. Kale McCarr did. Jimmy Vc did. Adam Fox did. You get into the lineup if you're good enough when you leave school. He will get a look. Is that the deadline edition you need and you just add more depth? You always want to make moves. You always want to do things. Their bottom six might be too defensive. I don't. I don't. You know, say that's wrong. In particular, when Alex Kerfoot doesn't bring much to the table offensively. I don't think Hall and Giordano could be a number two pair that wins you a Stanley Cup. But I'm not Kyle Dubas. He might believe that they're able to do it. He built this team. He has this vision. But for the first time, you're seeing a team play a style that could translate into future success, not run-and-gun Riverboat gambler. That's never going to win. It'll win you around Florida. It'll win you a few games in the first round. Toronto every year, they go to seven. They don't win them. They don't win because in a game seven, it's low scoring. It's structured. There's no ice. It's tight checking. People's ass cheeks quench because they're nervous. Nerves get there. There's emotion, all of these things. And there's not that open ice for Mitch Marner to go through five guys to make a pass to Matthews one timer in the back of the net. doesn't happen that way. Speaking of Mitch Marner. 17 straight games to the point. He's playing like a superstar. I haven't said he's a superstar on this show. I've never said it. I never thought he was. That he was a star player. Superstar to me is something you don't just throw around. He's getting real close. He's getting real close for me because... And this isn't a knock. There are a lot of really good star players. Like, for instance, Chris Letang in his prime was a star player, wasn't a superstar. He was not on Malkin. He was not on Crosby's level. Those two were superstars at their best. Chris Letang was not. Very good star player, was not a superstar. I, I, Daniel Elferson just went into the Hall of Fame. I never thought Daniel Elferson was a superstar. Really good. Really good. Joe Neuendijk, star player, not a superstar. Superstar is set up for Yaramir Yager's Mark Messias, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, think Daniel Alverson and Wayne Gretzky in the same conversation. No. No. Right? I mean, that's that's how how easy you can define it. That's how easy you can disarm somebody in, in, in a debate. And that's... Side note, if you want, if you're debating anybody, because I love debating, I'll have a conversation with anybody I've said before, I will argue anything with you. I will argue the color of you know, your nails. If you, if, you have, if you have clear nails, I'll debate the color of your nails. I'll debate the color of this shirt. I'll do anything, and I'll try to win an argument. Here is the key to debate. When somebody gives their position, find the most obvious and most loud example of how you can contradict it and be aggressive about it. Okay. So for instance, how can I put this? Okay. We'll keep it with sports. If somebody comes up to you and you guys are debating the best sport, right? If somebody says, well, uh, hockey's the best sport ever. It's better than the NFL, right? It's better than football. Well, I would. Here's an here's an argument. Here's a debate. I could say to you, well, okay, so if it's the best sport. Why don't they get paid the most money? Why do NHL players make the, the best player makes twelve million dollars a year? That's it. That's it. Well, I mean, I got a guy who's a good deal lineman in the NFL. He makes twelve million. He's Not even a star player. So is it the best sport? Because more people watch the NFL. Is it? It's hard to respond to that, right? Because you disarm them. You want them to get back on their heels. Let them overthink while you stay right in the pocket. That is how you win a debate. Had to go on that side note with all of you because I want to help. I do it all the time. Find what's important to them and tear it down. For instance, another one. This is another one I have all the time. I love music. I listen to a lot of music. I listen to music when I watch games because I don't like listening to a lot of the color announcers or play by play. Somebody says, well, Zach Bryan or Drake is the best musician of all time. Okay. Well, why did uh, Fleetwood Mac sell more records than Drake? Why, is, why did Led Zeppelin have this many records and Zach Brinley has this many? Why did Led Zeppelin sell their catalog for $400 million? Just point out the most obvious fact that's hard to dispute. You will win the debate. It's fun to disarm people. I will admit it is fun. But that is the thought right now for me. That is a debate 101 and how to win them. Because I like, again, I want to help all of you. Unless you're debating me. Then you're going to have a tough time because I'm pretty good. I, uh, I'll go... I'll go to bat with anybody about certain things. Back to Mitch Marner. He will win Player of the Month for November. Likely. It's another guy that will be in the mix. But he'll win it for the Eastern Conference at the very least. And what is so evident from him is just his creativity. The way he sees the ice, he can find guys in spaces and really tight spaces that you shouldn't be able to get the puck to. When he's playing at his best, he's really, he goes after pucks. He doesn't give up along the half boards. He fights for space. I like his game a lot. To me, he's the least, you know, biggest weapon when you really need him. Matthews is the best player, but he knows it. But Marner can do a lot for Matthews to be a better player. He can do a lot for John Tavares. Tavares scored 40. The one time he scored 40, Marner with his winger. The one time Austin Matthews has scored 50 in his career, Marner was on his wing. That's not lost on me. The two of the best seasons these two guys have had, they had Mitch Marner, number 16, on the wing alongside them. He also plays the penalty kill. He's he's just a really resourceful player. And he you know, he starts games off fast too, which is a good trait. That he's always ready to play a puck drop. The least least fans, you should be encouraged. I believe this play will translate into success. It can translate into you being a playoff team and not being one and done. Not Bowing out incredibly early. Playing good hockey. Having a style. And saying, hey, Boston. Hey, Tampa. Whoever it might be. Come play with us because we are different than we were last year. And it very well could be Tampa and in the, in the Toronto Maple Leafs again. And Tampa's had their struggles this year, but they're third in the Atlantic. A lot of inconsistency in the in the Atlantic division. Tampa's not going away. Braden points on the heater, he's starting to play well. They beat in St. Louis and they beat the they beat the Buffalo Sabres in overtime last night. They're starting to find their game. Steven Stamp goes to scoring goals on the power play like he always does. So but that's that's a positive thing for me, is that your game can translate. Now, can you get by Tampa? With this group of players, that's the tough thing. You can have a really good team. You can have really skilled players, and you can play a good system, and I think it will translate. But playing Tampa is another beast. For the Leafs, start with winning the Atlantic. It's so important. I said that last year. Avoid Tampa. You do not want to Tampa Bay. Don't test your fate. Get a wild card team, whoever that might be. It's way too early to start to break. Maybe it'll be Detroit, who you played last night. Who maybe they play tough the whole year and they squeak in. Who knows? Maybe it's Pittsburgh. I think Tron would love to play Pittsburgh in the playoffs. They own them. They know their style of play. Pittsburgh gets so damn frustrated against the Maple Leafs. You'd welcome that. Maybe that happens. But Boston's out in front right now, and they got games in hand on you. But you play well enough that you're within three points. You got their attention at the very least, and they're heading into a tough stretch. So Toronto played their last game of November tomorrow night against the San Jose Sharks. But this has been a really impressive month for the Maple Leafs. They turned the season around. They didn't fire the coach, like I told you, that... They would not, made no sense to fire a coach. It was a stupid, even a thought from people in the media. Take a chill pill, your team's good. Like the hater, air quotes, predicted they would be. Now, a team that isn't very good right now, and a team I talked about yesterday, New York Rangers, Had a two-goal lead last night, and they lost 5-3 to the New Jersey Devils. The New York Rangers, who blew a three-goal lead to the Oilers on Friday, blew a two-goal lead to the Devils last night. Gerard Gallant, wake up and smell the coffee. I said this yesterday. You are a coach, and sometimes coaching is less about motivation and about having a fucking plan. Having a set structure that you want to play. I don't see any accountability. I don't see guys being in good positions. Your breakouts are putrid. There's players that aren't playing very well. Panarin, Kreider like to go for skates in their own zone. Don't like particularly to give up their whole effort. Police it. How about practice and have some systems in place? How about give a shit? That just seems like a set play for me. The New York Rangers were my pick to win the Stanley Cup. They look like a fish out of water right now. Goaltending hasn't been that great. Defensive play is really inconsistent. Their offensive players have been good, not great. But the biggest problem here to me is coaching. When you see a player that's busting out of the zone before the puck is out of the zone, that's called cheating. That's called picking cherries to use a Don Cherry term from Rock'em Sock'em. And most times that doesn't work because you're playing against NHL players. To keep the puck in, you have one less guy, you're, you're in tough. And the puck might end up in the back of your net. How about don't make a backwards pass when you're when you're, not, when you're on 5-on-5, five five, in the middle of the ice, turn the puck over, the, and it goes back down the ice and scores. How about you don't give up three 2-on-1s last night in the game against New Jersey Devils? How about you don't do that? There are players that are underperforming. But to me, Gerard Galantz, a coach that's great in year one, and then he gets stale because he doesn't coach. He stands back there and bitches when he doesn't get a challenge right, which I'm all for. I'm there with him. But he's got a, he's got good teams wherever he goes. I don't think they're they're successful because of Jerry Grant. I think they're successful in spite of him. I remember when he was fired in Vegas and they had made the cup final. The next season they lose in the first round to the San Jose Sharks and that wild game sent me for a call with the with the uh, double minor penalty that the Sharks scored three power play goals on, they lost in overtime. Halfway through that next season, he gets fired, and Peter DeBoer replaces Gerard Glenn. And there was a, there was people so upset. Why well, this makes no sense? Gerard Glenn got them to a the Cup final. We hate the ownership in Vegas. They make rash decisions. Okay. Well, Peter DeBoer came in. They got to a conference final. Then they got to a second round. Peter DeBoer is now in, in Dallas, and they are first in the Central Division. Peter DeBoer coached in New Jersey with a really lack ruster, lost, lack rust, lackluster roster. He knows how to play a system. He knows how to play the trap, have guys stay back, eliminate time time and space in the neutral zone. Don't have players that are really loose to the puck carry it for over 10 seconds, make a play with it. I can't say that for Gerard Gallant. Vegas was a team of destiny. It was not because they had a great structure about them. Bill Carlson, career year. Raleigh Smith, career year. Marcia So, career year. Shea Theodore, career year. And you had Marc-Andre Fleury ready to prove a point between the pipes. That was less to do about coaching and more to do about that team just finding belief in the in the cause. We're the loser upstarts. Maybe we can make something out of this first season here in Viva Las Vegas, and they did, to their credit. I'm not going to say fire the coach, but what I will say is, and this is tough, and I said Craig Brube could be fired. I think it's still a good idea. St. Louis is playing okay, not great right now. They're, every game they're seen to get behind. They get behind by two to three goals, and they have their own problems in St. Louis. Turnovers being number one, goal, inconsistent goaltending being another, effort being another problem there. But there's a couple different things New York could do. You let Jared Gallant try to figure this out, but as I just mentioned, he's never been a coach, an X's and O's coach. He's never been a guy to figure things out. And this is an obvious call of saying, well, Barry Trotz is out there. New York Rangers are an original 16. They have as much prestige or as much clout as a Toronto Maple Leaf, so that's where Barry Trotz wanted to coach. Coaching the Rangers is something special, ask any coach. Haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1994 would be be great to be the coach to do it. Barry Trotz is an option. You go coach against the Islanders team, they'll let you go. Get some revenge on them. Try to stop them from winning a cup after the Islanders have had a really impressive start to the season. There's that. How about this name? How about Joel Quenville? Joel Quenville was let go by the Panthers last year. He did an interview last week saying he'd like to return as a head coach in the NHL. Now, he would have to be cleared by the league, a.k.a. Gary Bettman. And maybe that wouldn't even happen because we saw what happened when the Bruins tried to sign Mitchell Miller. It was just a a potpourri of of just people pissed off with the decision and not happy. Maybe that happens with, with Joel Quenville. I don't think he was as at at fault as Stan Bowman or others in that situation in Chicago. He is not without blame. But he lost his job, and he's waiting. And something we know in pro sports. Sometimes, if you got a really good person for the job, you don't care what that person did. Daniel Snyder was able to buy an NFL team. People knew he was a shitty person, but he bought the team because he had the highest bid. Joel Quenville has won three Stanley Cups in it with an original six franchise. He took over Chicago and they were a flat out joke. Joel Quenville's coached Artemi Panarin. Joel Quenville's coached on Team Canada staff winning Olympic gold medals. He knows how to play with a system. His teams do. Chicago, they did. They had Captain Sears, they had Sharp. They blocked shots. They gave a shit. I don't know if Gary Bettman will do it because Twitter and the crowd who like to cancel people will be up in arms over this decision. But if you're in business, you have to look into it. You have to. This is different. Giving the World Cup to Qatar, and over fi- they announced that over 500 people were killed in building stadiums in, in Qatar prior to the World Cup 400 to 500. I don't know how that's the number that many people. It's a wild country over there. The Kyle Beach situation was horrible, no doubt about it. However, he stopped coaching. I'm sure he's been through things, he's talked to people. When do you get a lot back in? Do you get a lot back in? Those are questions we're still trying to figure out in 2022. Almost 2023. Because the world has changed, the world has shifted, and we don't know that answer definitively. We knew what the past answer was, but it can be very different from the answer right now. They will not we will not hear a report about Joel Quenville even be considered for a job. This might not be the Rangers. It could be any team in the NHL without ha- having the idea or the knowledge that he will be cleared by the National Hockey League. Because you are not going to take that firestorm if you know you can't get the coach on your bench. My thought, if, if New York hires him, it will be okay. Because they hate Gerard Gallant right now. The Devils won again last night. The Devils lost to that game to the Leafs. That crazy game where they threw beer on the ice and everything's happening. I said, this could be a really bad sign for the Devils. Because you lost a game you probably should have won with all those disallowed goals. And a team that's not ready yet would falter. Three games since that meltdown, the Devils have won all three. The Devils play with great structure. And again... They have four lines that attack you and that you can't do much about. Four lines just constantly coming at you. Sharon gave it to two goals last night. Nathan Bastion. they got a good back end. Vitek Vandacek's been phenomenal. Mackenzie Blackwood out. It's just very hard to game plan for them because you know every shift you're getting somebody coming at you in your face. Devils have the second best point differential in the National Hockey League. So best point a second best point percentage just behind the Boston Bruins, followed by Vegas, then in 4th we got the Seattle Kraken and the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Devils have been that good so for, so far this season. We're almost into December. This isn't a fluke anymore. They're a really good team. For the Rangers, this year, to me, anything but winning the Stanley Cup is considered a failure. That, those were my expectations for that team. You have all the pieces. You have one of the best goaltenders in the world. Go do it. Go win the Cup because you have everything at your disposal. You have all the talent in the world. You have our Timmy Panarin, who I can't stand watching because his give-a-shit meter is less than a person taking a shit. But that is irrelevant right now. Go get the job done. They give up leads every night. They play horrible in third periods every night. And their coach is just back there swearing with no changes, no game plan, no nothing. Just put on a different suit another night and you go play the same game. Sometimes it can be... A bad thing to fire a coach. I don't think it'd be a bad thing here. Gerard Glantz is a short-term coach, and you need to have everything correct when it comes to your system. If he has a systems coach come with him and they play that, then you're set. He doesn't. Joel Quenville knows how to coach system. He knows how to build a winner. Gerard Glantz gotten close. He's never built a winner. Getting to a cup final is not building a winner. You're not, consider- you're not a-, a guy that's built a winner until you've won a cup, period. Oilers-Panthers last night. Oilers get out to another bad start. Matthew Kachuk scores early in the game. But again, the Oilers are the comeback kids, and you have to give them credit last night. Connor McDavid had three points, including the primary assists on the game-tying goal by Evan Bouchard with five seconds remaining in the game. He then set up Leon Dreisaitl for the overtime winner. Which means that the Edmonton Oilers have won two games in a row. I look at this Oilers club and I mentioned that, you know, they just need to say, screw this, screw Poole RV We need to get Hyman with these guys. Play the hell out of McDavid and hope for the best for right now. Last night's just an indication you got McDavid who's just an absolute superstar. And that was a game where he willed his team to a win. You squeak one out, in New York. Then you have to against uh, yeah against the Rangers. Sorry. Then you have to get on a bird, fly back to Edmonton, and play in a game on Monday night. You're down one, nothing after one. You're down three, two, five seconds, but you find a way to score that goal. Evan Bouchard's got three goals in two games after not scoring one in 20. He's caught fire. But McDavid was all around the ice. He was insanely creative. And in the big moments, he comes up with points. He had three last night when he needed them. Be that special player. Be the best player in the world in these big moments. I give credit to Jack Campbell as well. I thought he played really well last night. He battled in the net. Yes, he did give up three goals, but he battled in the big moments to make the key saves. He's starting to round into form a little bit, but it can be hard to tell because the Western Canadian teams other than Winnipeg are all really inconsistent, are all really average, and have all played really bad spurts of hockey this season. For Edmonton, they need to continue to build and they need to start a game on time. Falling down in games all the time is a tough way to be. It's a tough way to win. It's a tough way to keep a positive mindset. McDavid is constantly feel pushed, that he's got to play from behind. He's got to he's got to be aggressive. He's got to do more things. When he might just want a game where he can score a goal first, then you can play your game and just you'll find success that way because he's that good of a player. I credit the play of the Oilers last night. I thought it was a gutty win following an Eastern road trip. To find a way to get to two points, I applaud that. They still have work to do. Your bottom six is still really leaking. But for, for that team and for McDavid and Dreisaitl, make your life easier by having a good start to a game. You're on the ice first. Score a goal in one of those moments so that you are playing with the lead. Playing with the lead helps your bottom players as well because they don't feel the need to press. They, they might try something and maybe it works. It might be 1-1 because they try to do something that's out of their comfort zone, but at least you're 1-1. You're not down 1-0, 2-0 early in the game, or then you have to press. So Impressive win by the Oilers, but they still are not playing good fundamental hockey. They need to figure it out. Florida lost to Edmonton last night. Now they play the Calgary Flames this evening, which will be a return for Matthew Kachuk to Calgary. For the first time since he was traded last July. Sorry, last June or July. Now, Kachuk has played Calgary. They played in Florida earlier in the season, but this is his first time back in Calgary. He sat down with Sportsnet's Ryan Leslie and said he hopes he's not booed. He said he hopes the fans know that he gave his all every shift. And then he was a Calgary Flame through and through. He just looked at the opportunity and wanted something new in his career. Here's how I look at tonight. Matthew Kachuk did not win the Calgary Flames to Stanley Cup. He did not win an individual award there, but he was a very solid player for the Calgary Flames. He had over 100 points last year, and he was really a heart and soul of that team. I think he would have been the captain if he would have stayed. He did a lot for that team. He did a lot to help them. And here's where I kind of I look at this. If I'm the Calgary Flames, I will boo Johnny Gaudreau. I will not boo Matthew Kachuk. Here's why. Johnny Gaudreau was offered big money to return. He did not. He left for less money, and he went to Columbus, Ohio, to play for a dreadful hockey team. Nothing but golf courses that Jack Nick- Nicholas has designed not much to write home about. Doug McClain loves it, I know, from having on the show. But if I hear Columbus, Ohio, I think of Tom Cal- Tommy Callahan in, in the movie Tommy Boy starring Chris, uh, Chris Farley and David Spade. Nothing else. That and the Ohio State Buckeyes. But he left for Columbus and less money. You can boo him. Also, he left... The year he was an unrestricted for agent, he did not inform the team he was not going to resign. He told them at the 11th hour so that they couldn't trade his rights for anything. They got nothing for Johnny Gaudreau and he left the organization. Matthew Kachuk had one year left in his deal and he told Flames management, I am not going to resign here. I would like to play elsewhere. I will play this year if you don't want to trade me, but I don't want to be here for five to 10 years. Well, with that information, the Flames parlayed that into Jonathan Huberto and to Mackenzie Weger. You added two really good players to your roster because Kachuk gave you that flexibility and allowed you to facilitate a trade. He could hit the open market, and you'll lose him for nothing. He handled it differently than Johnny Gaudreau did. So I don't think Matthew Kachuk should be booed tonight. I think he will be. I think he will be because he did leave the organization. But it's funny. We're over 20 games into this season. Florida's on a Western Canadian road trip. And the Flames and Panthers aren't that different. You look at the two teams, and they are around the same. I said before the year, I thought they are the two most interesting teams for me. Because of the shifts to their roster, because of fundamental differences – and I just thought, they make a huge trade. Both teams are trying to win a Stanley Cup this season. Who is going to have more success? Well, individually, Matthew kachuk has been the best player of the three. He's been the most consistent, I think, forward overall for the Florida Panthers. Huberto's been really consistent for Florida. Weger's had his up and down moments. Calgary's only a point up on the Vancouver Canucks, if you can believe that. Florida's behind Toronto, they're behind Tampa, they're behind the Boston Bruins, they're tied with the Detroit Red Wings. Both of these teams have played really well and really inconsistent. Daryl Sutter's back there in Calgary, but they're still trying to figure out a system that works for Huberto, that works for Uyghur, works for players to have success. Paul Maurice is the coach in Florida. They're trying to work into his system. Hasn't exactly worked. Their scoring touch has gone down. They're trying to morph into a team that averaged over four goals a game to a team that can play tight checking and and win a game 2-1. to We haven't exactly seen either team fully make that transition yet. Fully morph into a new team that is able to do it. And you compare that to a Toronto or in New Jersey, the cores in Toronto, the cores in New Jersey have been together for a long while. They've been through suffering. They've been through losses. They've, they've gone through it, but they know each other. They know each other, Florida. There's a lot of new changes to that team. Kachuk's a different presence than Jonathan Huberto. He brings something different to the table. I'm interested to see the way Kachuk is welcomed. And for Calgary, I mean, Calgary's playing Florida. Vancouver's got the Capitals tonight who are reeling. You do not want to wake up Wednesday morning on November 30th to see that the Vancouver Canucks are ahead of you in the standings. That's just a piece of advice to the Calgary Flames because that would be a disastrous start to the season to see Vancouver and Seattle and Vegas to a point ahead of you by a significant margin. That is doomsday type scenario for this team. But I still find both teams interesting, but I will say as we approach December, I am more confident that Calgary will make the playoffs. And honestly, I am starting to really worry about this Florida Panthers team. They can't seem to adapt to that new system that Paul Maurice wants to play. They're not going to catch Toronto. They're not going to catch Tampa. They can hope that Boston falls off a cliff, but I still find it very hard to believe that they'll catch them. I don't, New Jersey's going to make the playoffs in the Metro. The Islanders are going to make the playoffs in the Metro. Pittsburgh or the Rangers will make the playoffs in the Metro. That's six. Say the losers of the Rangers-Penguins will get in as a wild card. That's seven. At least one more playoff spot. Who will it go to? Could Detroit get it over Florida? Potentially. Won't go to the Philadelphia Flyers who have lost 10 in a row. But there are other teams out there that could be a factor. Just some thoughts. I think both these teams are still trying to find an identity. But Florida needs to find it quick. Because the Eastern Conference is harder to navigate than the Western. Period. Good luck, Florida. Tonight, we also got Avalanche Winnipeg Jets which should be a fun game. Both teams are right in the mix for top spot in the Central, chasing the Dallas Stars, who have many games in hand on both of these teams. Winnipeg's one of the surprise teams in the National Hockey League. Mark Scheifele's played great. Blake Wheeler's played great. Pionk and Morrissey have been a fantastic pair. Hellebeck, obviously, has been rock solid. Kyle Connor. I look at Winnipeg. They uh, they are playing really well. They're doing it with you know plug in players. Jansen Harkins, Morgan Barron are having an impact on this team. Winnipeg looks like a team that's going to make the playoffs. They look ready. They look set. They look structured. Now Colorado, they're winning games now. Kale McCarr is out of his mind. McKinnon's playing well. Rantanen's played well since. Puck drop a night one. I don't know who wins this tug of war. But tonight's a litmus test for the Winnipeg Jets because you didn't make the playoffs last year and you were going up against the Stanley Cup champions. It's one thing to beat a Dallas in your division. It's another thing to beat a Minnesota, whoever the team might be. You are playing Daddy, if you will. You are playing the best team. That is really nothing to prove until we get to April. But they sure look like a team that wants to win the Central Division and have the entire postseason go through Colorado again because they saw it work for them last year. They finished second in the NHL in points last year. Florida won the President's Trophy, but Florida was bouncing the second round. At least control it through the Western Conference. Battle with Vegas. See what you can do. Colorado is nursing some injuries. Evan Rodriguez is out for a month. New Hook is banged up. He might not play tonight. We look at a lot of these teams. Colorado had a slow start. Toronto had a slow start. Tampa had a slow start-ish. They're starting to come around the corner. Um, trying to think of, of other really you know, pretty solid teams. Now, Buffalo got off to a hot start. Montreal got off to a hot start. And you're seeing starting to see these teams fall back into it. New Jersey's been one of the few teams that have kept up their, their winning ways, that have kept up their, their play the whole season. Edmonton started hot, then they faded. Now they're trying to find their game. Wouldn't it be something if Calgary loses to Florida tonight, even though Florida's on a back-to-back, and Vancouver beats the Washington Capitals? And after everything that's happened – Vancouver, who has not fired Bruce Boudreaux yet, would somehow be above the Calgary Flames in the standings? If that's not an indictment on a team, and that doesn't tell you where they are, nothing will. Because then you know, okay, we're in really big trouble here. The Vancouver Canucks, who, yes, have played well. Elias Petterson looks like a number one center. Bull Horvath's got 17 goals. I get it. But our backup goalies played better than Thatcher Demko. You've come to the conclusion if you somehow look up and say we're behind the Vancouver Canucks at any point this season, you're in a dark place. Because that you just you just know it. it. Doesn't take common sense to really figure that one out. Just look at the situation and read and react. But full slate of games tonight, a lot of interesting games. Seeing here, we get a soccer update. The United States lead Iran 1 0 in a must win matchup, while England is close to advancing, leading Wales 3 2 0. So England is going to be top spot in their group, beating Iran in the opening game, having a draw with the United States, and then beating, likely beating Wales today. If the United States beat Iran, They will advance to the knockout stage. They will knock out, they will advance to the next round alongside England, which would be a massive accomplishment, in my opinion, for the United States, despite the fact that they had a pretty weak group. Despite the fact, but for them to do this, to get a win at the World Cup, to have a draw against England, one of the best powers in the sport, that's a real positive sign for them. And that's something. That Canada wanted. I watched Canada yesterday and it was disappointing to say the least. They got dropped by Croatia four to one. And it couldn't start off better. The second minute of the game, Alfonso Davies scores the first ever goal for Canada at a, at a men's World Cup. They have all the momentum, they're beating they they lost one nothing against Belgium, now they're up one nothing against Croatia. But following that, Croatia took it to Canada. And Croatia look like the soccer superpower, while Canada look like they're still getting their shoes on. Ends up a 4-1 final, and Canada has no shot going into their last game of making the knockout stage. The group is now incredibly tight because you have Belgium with three points following their win over Canada, but they lost to Morocco. Morocco had a draw with... Croatia, and they beat Belgium, so they have four points. Croatia also have four points, and this group will finish on Thursday. Belgium plays Croatia. Morocco plays Canada. Now, Canada could very well play, spoiler. Morocco wins, they are through. That would mean the winner of Belgium and Croatia is through. Belgium would be another upset team to make the knockout round. Earlier today, Senegal beat Uruguay. And the other teams, uh, the Netherlands, the Dutch beat host cutter. So the Netherlands are through as are, uh, S- Senegal. And it looks like right now England is going to be through and p- perhaps the United States will be through as well to the knockout round. So that, that's until Friday. That's what happens. Then the knockout stage begins on, on, se- on, uh, Saturday for the FIFA World Cup. Canada plays at, I believe, 11 a.m. Eastern on Thursday would be their final game for the 2022 World Cup until 2026 when they host alongside Mexico and the U.S. We had a football game last night, Monday Night Football in Indianapolis. Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers against Jeff Saturday and Indianapolis Colts. And what a game it was because we saw a lot of ugly football. How about these first-half stats for Matt Ryan? Four for 11 for 27 yards, sacked twice, and an interception. The Colts had the ball less than 10 minutes, and the offensive line did nothing to help the team. Now, in the second half, the special teams showed up in the first minute, which gave them hope. But here's the thing for the Colts. They just make stupid decisions, and Matt Ryan can have really good moments. But the guy just isn't a great quarterback anymore. He's not a quarterback of the future. He's not a starting quarterback in the NFL anymore, but he's better than the two other quarterbacks they have on the roster. This dropped Indy to 4-7-1 and one and knocked them out of contention, knocked them out of the playoff mix. Jeff Saturday could have had had some timeouts called late in that game. He decided not to. Said today he didn't think the time was imminent, which as a head coach, that's your main job is to make sure you get those timeouts in at the right time so that your team has a chance to win late in game to get the ball back, which he did not seem to care that much about, which was perplexing. But, for Pittsburgh, they win their second straight game. They've beaten the Saints and the Colts in back-to-back weeks. Now, those aren't exactly incredibly impressive wins. Saints are four and eight. Colts are four seven and one. But I have seen some positive signs in these games, and it starts with Kenny Pickett. I think Kenny Pickett has a good has good pocket awareness and knows when he needs to go on the run. He is an athletic quarterback. He's not crazy athletic, but he's got good enough wheels. And he's got a good enough vision to know and how, how to escape taking big hits. He can scramble. He can make plays, and I, I like that about him. I mean, in the first half last night, the Pittsburgh Sears had 24 rushing attempts by four different rushers. They used three different running backs, and Pickett ran the ball himself nine times last night. Not huge runs, but important plays to pick up first downs at times for the Steelers. Also, he's a really he's he's great at sliding. He gives himself up. He slides. He doesn't take big hits. That's another positive thing for Kenny Pickett. I think he needs to make quicker reads throwing the football. I think he, there's times he he stares down a receiver and then he looks around. But you need to make a decision and throw the football. But for Pittsburgh, Pickens and Pickett are starting to get a connection. That's a positive. Pat Friermuth is a great tight end. You'd want him on your roster any day of the week if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Deontay Johnson is playing decent for this team. I haven't seen a franchise quarterback yet for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Kenny Pickett. I can't go that far. But I have seen a guy that knows the position, And is not trying to do too much. He knows what he doesn't know. He's not trying to airmail the ball. I don't think Matt Canada's offensive scheme is that creative anyway. But he's running it effectively, and it's the perfect sequence for him to be in because he's playing against bad teams to get some reps, to get some important reps, to see what you can do. Pittsburgh's four and seven. They're not going to make the playoffs. But if Kenny Pickett can get some good live-action play, he gets a connection with George Pickens, who will be in his second year next year in the roster. De- Deontay Johnson is under contract. Pat Friermuth, who will go into his junior NFL season. You drafts of offensive line help. Maybe this team isn't half bad next year in a quicker-type rebuild. You signed a veteran quarterback and Mitch Trubisky. Knowing that was a stopgap, knowing that was a band-aid on a bullet hole. It was not gonna stop the blood, it was not gonna save you from your impending death. I'm not sure Kenny Pickett is that is, is there yet is there yet. However, he's doing impressive things and he's putting his team in a position to win most games in the last number of weeks. For the Colts, 4 7 and 1. You got the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Started off so well for Jeff, Sa- Jeff Saturday. He's almost 2 0 and oh when and they beat the Eagles. He'll likely be 1 and 3. In particular, Matt Ryan at quarterback against that Dallas Cowboys pass rush. Oy vey. For Jeff Saturday, I'm not sure. I don't know if this is gonna work, if he's gonna be their head coach next season. Who knows with the Colts with Jim Irsay? It's, it's a complete mess, it's a complete tire fire. There's no rhyme or reason to think yes or no. It could happen, it might not happen. Does Jeff Jess, Jess Saturday like coaching? That was something that he talked about in his opening presser. Does Jim Mersey want to get another veteran coach? For the Colts now, they're four, seven, and one. You're not trying to win games. You want your quarterback of the future. Because I can't see the Indianapolis Colts going down the road again of looking around and saying, Derek Carr is our quarterback of the future, and they go to another veteran. After Phillip Rivers, after Carson Wentz, after Matt Ryan. It's time to change up your strategy and find somebody that could really do the job. To me, you draft a young quarterback and see what you can do. Now you prefer that quarterback to beat Drake May or beat Caleb Williams in next year's draft, but if it's C.J. Stroud, if it's Tandon Hooker, if it's Will Levis, you draft one and see what they can do. Maybe you keep Nick Foles as a stopgap quarterback, and next year's another losing season for the team. You get met, you get rid of Matt Ryan, you eat some of that salary cap number, and you just you see what you can do. That rookie is start, sits on the bench to start the season, and you see how it goes. If the season's going along and you need reps, you move on. Maybe the Colts, if they don't like anybody in the draft, they trade for Jordan Love for the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers said today that he will play this weekend against the Chicago Bears. But, well, Jordan Love is in his third season. He's hardly played at all. Maybe he'll get some starts down the stretch. Maybe the Colts will look at him and say, can we could draft a rookie where we could take this guy. See what he can do. He's not, a, he's not a veteran. He's had very little experience, but maybe he can do it. Just some food for thought, because I don't see the Colts going down the veteran quarterback market again because it's, it's not worked so many times, and you can only kick a dead horse so many damn times. Change up your strategy See if you make a change if something positive happens. I'm not sure it will, but you need to do something different because otherwise you're just, you're doing the same damn thing over and over again. And that's not working. That's not going to help you. That's just, it's a, it's a poor strategy that that's not a winning one, quite frankly. So, we sit here, same score in the England and U.S. games, so we're getting close to the end of uh, the games at the at the World Cup. College, I, me- I mentioned this yesterday briefly, didn't get into it, but some hires from around the college football world from uh, this weekend. It started when Nebraska announced that they had hired coach Matt Rule as the program's next head coach. Matt Rule, the former head coach of the Carolina Panthers, who was fired less than a month ago and now he's the head coach in Nebraska. Nebraska's been a failing program for a long time. They fired their head coach in September. They went three and nine on the season. And it's been a program that's lacked identity for close to twenty years. Matt Rule turned a two two win Temple team into a ten win season. Baylor was at three wins. He got them to a Big 12 title. And Baylor's been a pretty consistently good program for a number of years on, under Dave Aranda since Matt Rule has left. He builds cultures, and he knows how to recruit good players. He couldn't coach in the NFL, but that's not his job. He can coach in college, and he can turn around bad programs. The great thing for Matt Rule you are more likely to get better players coming to Nebraska than they are to go to Baylor or go to Temple. Nebraska still has a brand name. They still have that name value. And you get to play in a bigger conference. You get to play in the Big Ten right now. If there is divisional realignment, I think Nebraska will be included because they have a history. The Cornhuskers, it's a big college football power. It's got a name to it. And Yes, it's been irrelevant for a very long time, but name recognition stays with you. I think this is a smart move for Matt Rule. I think it's a better job than Arizona State. I think it's a better job than the University of Colorado. He takes the job at Nebraska. Up next was Wisconsin. Wisconsin, who fired their head coach also in September, decided to poach a coach. They went and talked to the University of Cincinnati head coach, Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle, who was offered head coaching jobs last offseason, who said no to them all, and returned to the University of Cincinnati after leading that program to a Final Four, this season decided to leave Cincinnati to go to Wisconsin. To me, there's a couple of reasons why money of course he was getting good money at cincinnati he's going to make close to nine million dollars at the university of wisconsin wisconsin's a big school it's easier to recruit to wisconsin and luke fickle has some brand name about him he is starting to get the reputation that he can get you to the nfl sauce gardner alec pierce desmond ritter two other players on that defense were drafted in the National Football League last year all in the first 3 rounds. He knows how to he knows how to draft and develop people and build a good program. They were beaten and battered this year. They had Ben Bryant transfer over. He only played in 5 of the games. They went 9 and 3 at Cincinnati. A really impressive season after losing so many important pieces to the NFL. So he can recruit Players know that he, they, he can get them to play on Sundays. It's a lot easier to sell them on coming to play in the Big Ten Conference than playing the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, and play at the University of Cincinnati. I think this is a great hire for Wisconsin. I've seen Wisconsin be good in my lifetime. I haven't seen Nebraska be good in my, in my lifetime. Matt Rules turned it around at, at schools But I will say for both of these schools, this is not just about being competitive. In my mind, Nebraska and Wisconsin in the not-too-distant future want to be able to compete for national championships to at least be in the – when it's a 12-team playoff, be in the conversation. And why shouldn't they have that expectation? Penn State, if it was a 12-team playoff, would be six or seven this season. Penn State, who's in the Big Ten? who battled hard with Michigan and Ohio State. Why can't Wisconsin be Penn State? So Luke Fickle leaves Cincinnati for the University of Wisconsin. And it was announced yesterday afternoon that Hugh Freeze, who used to coach at AM, coach at UCF, and is currently the head coach of Liberty, had been hired by the University of Auburn to be their new head coach. Auburn, who's had three coaches in four years. Auburn, who doesn't have a, much of an identity over the last number of years. They're an SEC school that seems to lose a lot of games every year. They're an SEC doormat. Mississippi State's been better than, than Auburn. Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Alabama. Georgia, of course, LSU. You look at SEC, which is always very tough. Auburn is an easy win for most teams. They haven't had a great quarterback at Auburn since Cam Newton. They had Bo Nix, who was okay, but he's since transferred to the University of Oregon. So for Hugh Freeze, I think number one is draft and develop, uh, recruit and develop a quarterback that can play. Get some talent that can compete with some of these great athletes in the SEC like a Bryce Young, like a Jaden Daniels, like Jamar Chase, who's now in the NFL. So many great players in the SEC. It's on Hugh Freeze to get someone to come to Auburn, not go to Alabama, not go to Georgia, not go to Ole Miss to play for Lane Kiffin, who just got an extension eight years and over $9 million a year to remain at at Mississippi, it can be a tough sell, but that's what Hugh Freeze is going to have to do. He's been successful. I have of the three I just named, Hugh Freeze gives me the most pause. I don't know if he's going to be a great hire in Auburn because that program just doesn't have an identity right now. It's going to need a complete turnaround. It's going to need recruits to go to Auburn and say, "If I'm going to play in the SEC, I'm not going to Alabama. I'm not going to Ole Miss. I'm not going to LSU." I I just don't buy it. I just don't buy that Auburn will be able to steal that many kids away from these more you know elite programs. Also, we heard that the University of Colorado Buffaloes have offered their head coaching job to Dion Sanders. Dion, who co- currently coaches at Jackson State, which is a historically black university. He's been rumored to be in talks with Auburn. They gave the ball, they gave the job to Hugh Freeze. Arizona State potentially still needs to hire a head coach after they fired Herm Edwards. And now the Colorado Buffaloes, who went one and eleven this season, have offered their job to Deion Sanders. Colorado plays in in the Big Twelve. They play with USC. They play with UCLA. Oregon and all these schools. But I look at the situation and I think this wouldn't be the worst place for Deion Sanders. Because oftentimes your first job should be at a place where you're not expected to go undefeated. You're not expected to win a national championship right away, but start to mold a program and mold men into being really, really good year in and year out. Have people buy in. Have people come, he can recruit the hell out of people. He can recruit people from Jackson State to go to Colorado, like his son, who is a five-star recruit. To me, Dion will not take this job. I don't think he will take this job because it's not high-profile enough. Colorado is a, yes, it's a power five school, but it's it's a way less of a power five school. It doesn't have that cachet about it. So I'd be surprised if he took it, but I think it would be a good job if he wants to leave Jackson State. I'm not sure he does. I think he likes his job at Jackson State. I, I do. Gets to coach his son. Gets to be the man there. He's a, He wanted to go to a historically black university. Do some really good work there with a lot of African-American kids. Coaching's always a spiral. It's always something going on in in college football. I don't know who takes the Arizona State job. I'm not sure who takes the Colorado job if Dion doesn't want it. I know he's focused on winning his conference title this coming Saturday. Maybe Jackson State wins the game and he announces after the game that he's going to be a Colorado Buffalo head coach. I don't think it happens. I think he stays at where he's at. I don't think he wants that Colorado cold all winter long. I don't blame him, by the way. I wouldn't want to deal with that crazy storms, Aspen, Colorado. But some people are tougher than me. Not that hard to be tougher than me. But just a just a thought. College football, lot, lots happening, lots changing, in in the sport as a whole. Well, uh, Jose Abreu, the Houston Astros has started their offseason before most teams have. This past season, the Houston Astros had Yuli Gurriel and Trey Mancini playing first base. Mancini was acquired at the trade deadline from the Baltimore Orioles, and Yuli Gurriel has been his fixture at first base for a long time. Now, there are times where Gurriel was put on the bench during the postseason. His bat wasn't alive, but he's a great defensive first baseman. While Mancini did not hit very well with the deadline acquisition, that did not not mean much to the Astros ultimately winning the World Series. Well, they let Gurriel hit free agency. He's not gone yet, but it sure looks like he will not be returning to the Houston Astros because yesterday they made a splash stealing 2020 American League MVP Jose Abreu from the Chicago White Sox, and he will now be a Houston Astro. Abreu stays in division, and he goes to the Houston Astros. Three years, over $58 million. He's in his mid-30s, but he batted over 300 last season, and he's still a really, really good hitter. His power numbers have dropped significantly. He's not hitting many home runs or as many as he used to, what you can say about Jose Abreu is that he's a professional hitter. He's just a guy that will bat 295 to 300 every season and be in the mix. He's kept the Chicago White Sox relevant for a long time. They try to get to good players, get Eloy Jimenez ready. Josh Harrison comes through, veterans all galore, and the team stinks. But Jose Abreu was phenomenal. He was the leader of that clubhouse, in my opinion. He was the longest. He was there for over a decade for the White Sox on the south side, and now he stays in division. I worry about the White Sox because they had Tony LaRue as their manager. He's fired. I don't think the players wanted him back, but I don't think they trust who their new hire is either. They look around and say Houston. Sorry, they don't stay in division. That's a mistake on my part they play in the American League Central feels like it's the same Chicago White Sox and Houston Astros feel like they're in the same division but he stays in the American League to get that right is they don't play the, the tight they don't play the Tigers and the White Sox all the time but this is a huge loss for the White Sox for that team for the culture what they're trying to build there and I applaud this move from the Astros it's not December yet. You see a really good player on the board. You notice a hole in your lineup that you need to fill, and you go do it. You go do it. You add a veteran, a really good bat to your team that can play decent decent, decent defense. I have no problem with that because you're trying to be proactive and you're trying to continue to win. You know, Justin Verlander is meeting with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He met with them yesterday. For, I don't think Justin Verlander is going to get the same deal as Max Scherzer, and here's why. The Mets already regret giving that deal to the warrior god, Max Scherzer. He pitched horribly in the playoffs the last two to three seasons. His arm is giving out at the end of seasons, and it's a long, lot of money for a guy who's, you know, Scherzer was 37 Verlander is going to be 40 at the start of next season and he wants a three year contract with all that guaranteed money. I think he's just he's gonna go for a visit around the around Major League Baseball, talk talk to a number of teams and realize, okay, I I can't get this deal. It won't be collusion, it won't be every team saying, No, no, we're not doing that because they'll do it because they'll say, This makes no sense. Yes, Verlander won the Cy Young, he might be worth 20 to 25 million dollars a season for the next two, maybe a year, and then a club option in that second year. In a perfect world, even if you give him a second year that is guaranteed, he's not worth 40. He's not worth that kind of money. He finally won a World Series game after all this time. Yes, he won a sign in the regular season. Fantastic. Can he do it again? Unlikely. I think he ends up back in Houston because I think he loves it there and I think his family does. Yes, he can go visit the Dodgers who offer him a pile of money and he'll go visit a few other teams just to just to poke around. But at the end of the day, I think the Astros reward him for what he's done. He's won two World Series there. It's won a Cy Young in Houston. And maybe they give him a two-year $60 million deal. That's my thought right now is that's what I would be comfortable with. And if he wants a player option, then you have to suck up that second year. Two years, $60 million, $30 million a season for a guy, Justin Verlander, at his age, and the risk that's coming into this, I think is more than fair. I think it's more than fair because you never know what's behind door number two. And Verlander's meeting teams, I don't expect him to be signed to a team before Christmas sure he's doing it this week doesn't mean it's getting done i don't know what's happening with this show when it comes to facial hair or what what's happening um, when it when it comes to the reason i mentioned the reason i mentioned facial hair just came to my mind as we grind through here is it's november and you're seeing you know athletes with their Stash is going and I did kind of a November thing in October because I like to be different. Of course, I su- support November and you know, prostate cancer and all that great stuff. But yeah, you need a few of those to end soon because they don't look good. Austin Matthews looks tough. I saw a picture of Jose Abreu yesterday, that's why I mentioned it. He didn't look real. I think Verlander's trying to rock it a little bit as he goes to meet teams. Tough, tough looks for fellas, quite frankly, with what they're trying to accomplish. Tough go. Tough, tough go for for these teams. Sheamus should join us here momentarily. It's a little past 5 o'clock. Try to get an update here on the World Cup as we uh, get set for... We get set here looking, trying to get a read on this game. Nothing yet when it comes to an update on who is going to win today. Sounds like England. It sounds like the United States, like I said. But that is nothing definitive yet. When I hear that news, I will relay it to all of you. Boy, the NHL has been weird it's strange because you know i I look around and you see mcdavid playing well and marner's been great and i love jason robertson as you guys know but i did not expect him to score 19 goals before december 19 goals in 23 games for jason robertson not to mention he didn't have a training camp he held out and he signed a deal two nights before the season started. He's second in the National Hockey League in points. And quite frankly, ladies and gents, it's a two-horse race for the first two months Hart Trophy winner, the MVP of the league. If you had to vote right now, which is so premature, so many things are going to change. But if you do it month by month, if you have a November MVP, if you will, a November MVP two months in. To me, the MVP of the league is Jason Robertson. He edges out Connor McDavid by a little bit and I'd have Kale McCarr third. He has been so consistently good, has played well almost every night and is a constant fixture on the score sheet And he plays on the best line in hockey. Not to mention, he plays with little Joe Pavelski, the guy who never seems to get old, and Rupe Hintz. And Dallas rewarded Rupe Hintz today by giving him an eight-year extension worth $8.45 million a year. Rupe Hintz is not a prototypical number one center. He's not a guy that's going to score your 40 goals. He might not give you 100 points in a season, likely never going to give you an 80 point season. Rupa Hintz is a very fast player. He can finish with the best of him. He does have a good shot. And he's a guy that disrupts and he can distribute the puck to two, the two guys that are, on, that are around him in Joe Pavelski and Jason Robertson. Rupa Hintz has assisted on 12 of Jason Robertson's 19 goals. These two have a connection, and this line was put together last year by the Rick Bonus administration, who put hints together with Robertson and with Pavelski. Peter DeBoer came in and said, if it's not broke, we're not going to fix it. So he said, we're going to keep that line together. And then you might say, well, you got all those three players together. It's going to hurt the rest of your team. Dallas is first in the central. Dallas first in the central. They're getting good goaltending from Ottinger and Wedgwood. Wedgwood, a journeyman backup, is playing good hockey. Good for him. But Jamie Benn's having a resurgence. He's playing really good hockey. Heiskanen's playing pretty well. Lindell, Tyler Seng is having his moments. Wyatt Johnston, a rookie, is getting into the lineup for, for Dallas. Dallas also has a lot of depth to make trades at the deadline. They do. They potentially could be a dark horse for Patrick Kane if he accepts a trade there. they got a number of pieces in the minors that I like a lot that I think could be implied that Chicago would be interested in, and they got draft picks, of course. I thought Dallas would be a playoff team, but I did not think they'd be this good, and I did not think that I would be saying that Jason Robertson would be my November P. Now Rupe hints his contract. It's a bit rich. Six, it's eight years a lot. He's 26 years old. But. It's the going right now. Just seems to be the going rate. Right. You give a guy $8 million when he's on the top line. Your top line center. And I'll tell you. Two guys that are thrilled with this contract today. Jason, uh, not Jason Roberts. Jason Roberts will make more than Robins whenever he gets his deal. Bo Horvat and Dylan Larkin. Bo Horvat's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, as is Dylan Larkin in Detroit. Both are captains of their respective teams. And I don't think either Vancouver or Detroit wants to pay. Their respective player as much as Rupe Hints got today. I could be completely wrong, but I don't think I am. I don't think Vancouver wants to give Bo Horvat eight years at eight million. Eight years, sixty-four. I don't think they want to do that. Why isn't Dylan Larkin sign, You might ask. Well, he's probably looking, saying Rupe Hints has got this. I'm better than Rupa Hints. I want at least nine. He probably Matt, uh, Matt Barzell makes nine point one. Maybe he wants to be in that range. He looks at at those comps and says, well, I think I'm just as good as him. What is his number? Dylan Larkin, good player, but he's not a good enough player to be your best player on a championship winning team. These are these dilemmas. How much better is Dylan Larkin than Bill Nylander? Very different players, played very different styles. And how much better is Dylan Larkin than Bill, for instance? I don't think Dylan Larkin's better than David Pastrnak. David Pastrnak's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. I just I find this hints contract extremely interesting because I think it opens up a window for a lot of other different players that'll be looking for a good chunk of change. It's Tuesday night. It's five o'clock. You know what? The, you know what time it is. I'll be joined by my uh, Garth Algar, if you will, Seamus Fillmore, rocking the Celtics jersey, which I don't blame them because they're they're winning every game right now. But before we get to the Paul Pierce-led Celtics, I mean Jason Tatum-led Celtics, Seamus, what are your thoughts, uh, my friend, on the Rupe Hintz deal this afternoon?
1: Apologies. I'm still getting, getting my situated. Uh, can you repeat the question? And by the way, hello. Yeah.
0: Good morrow. What are what are your thoughts on the Root Bay Hintz deal this afternoon? Uh, eight
1: point four million over yep. seven years. Is it? Uh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I no, I I was just thinking about that. I was coming on because I knew it would be asked. Um, I I don't have any problems with it. You got a guy who could potentially be your first line center. Um, and with the way the cap supposedly going to go up I think mm-hmm. this could be a really really good deal I mean he's proven he can be a good playmaking slash fast guy my only thoughts are maybe he's not always the strongest in his own end uh the few times I've watched Dallas this year he's not uh I, I shouldn't say that actually he's pretty solid in his own end but that'd be my only thing he's not the he's not the typical Patrice Bergeron Andre Kopitar type player but he is offensively pretty sound
0: yeah, no, he's. I think he's on the best line in hockey, which is which is good too. When you get two guys that are really producing the way they are in in Dallas, who does this contract benefit more, Bo Horvat or Dylan Larkin? <laughs> um,
1: hmm. I think it benefits Dylan Larkin. Um, yeah. Now I I give it to Dylan Larkin because he's 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 a guy who's older, obviously but he's the captain of the team. And I mean, I guess Bo Harvett is also the captain, but I feel like I've felt like things were always shaky with Bo, Har- Bo Harvett since last year, just because mm-hmm. it was like, okay, well, you know, we're in a spot where, you know, we're supposed to be improving. We're going to be a playoff team next year. if you had asked last year, I don't think Detroit said they were going to be a playoff team. And here they are in the thirds in the in a wild card position. And honestly, I feel like they're going to make better waves than Vancouver will uh, moving forward. So I feel like his, his deal is looking probably around the similar. I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to say, I want nine to 10 million. I think he's going to range 8.5 market. And I think he'll get it for, you know, what he's done for the team and uh, what he represents, even to watching him last night. I mean, he's a tough nose forward who finished checks and you know, he's a bastard to play against you. you mean, I uh, take, take it this, take this point last year. He bought zach rowinski's parents tickets to come watch them play and then he fought zach rowinski in the same game like, that's the type of guy dylan larkin is he's he's an animal
0: how offensive were those detroit jerseys last night
1: <laughs> how offensive to
0: to yeah they, they just they just offended me every every <laughs> of those offended me
1: yeah yeah they they were offensive i uh i was not a fan um I don't know the whole black and red like with the too much black. It just it's not a good look. I hope those don't make their way back. They were tough to tough to watch last night. And I'm we already talked about this at the beginning of the year when they released the retro or the reverse retros. There wasn't too many that really sparked my eye. But when it comes to like the opposite end of that and being awful like Detroit, was definitely up there for me.
0: Yeah they 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 were they were not good. They were they were not good. Um you got to be happy about your leaves they're rolling your little buddy mitch is playing well uh there's really nothing nothing to complain about in leafland right now
1: yeah no, no nothing to complain about even though you know if you would have said a couple weeks ago how's it gonna look without muzzin morgan riley tj brody and you know a slew of other players bro uh, jordy ben who was one of them. You would have thought, okay, this team is going to crumble, but you give it to, to you got to give it to Keith. He's kept this team on on a on cylinder and on playing grounds, and they're not making stupid plays because I feel like they have to be liable for everything that they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have no choice but to play these guys. Obviously, that's just comes down to it. If Mac Holloway's in the lineup, you know that you know things are starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel, but honestly he's not been terrible you know what i mean he's he's not looked like a proven nhl but he's not been terrible either um so yeah keeping them liable and honestly if toronto keeps us up could Keith be up for jack adams i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm gonna keep that in the back of my mind though
0: okay maybe that's a prop you can play uh try to try to win some cash gambling Going well on i mean
1: honestly like look what he's what he got to work with and he's winning games clearly i mean you got to give it to matt murray too who's also played Solid. I wouldn't say, or my new name for him is actually the the net abuser. He's because he just yeah. he can't stop hitting that goddamn thing. You know, you <laughs> heard of child abusers, you heard of partner abusers, and now there's the net abuser with uh, my boy Matt Murray. Maybe he needs to. We need to get an Amber Alert out for him and maybe get him captured somehow.
0: Do you think there's something to the fact that Lilligren and Sandine are playing better? because they know they won't get their minutes taken from them because there's nobody to replace them?
1: I think so. I, I think it's a, a little bit of confidence and a little bit of, you know, feeling like everything you do is more important. Like when you're in a third parent role, yeah, you're going to get your 10 minutes, maybe a little bit more than 10 minutes, but you're not always guaranteed that either. This way it's like, okay, we're, we're set for the night. You know, and I don't have to feel like Keith's eyes are drilling me in the back of the head every time I throw one up the middle. I mean, look at what happened to Sandin in the Minnesota game, and on, on you know mm-hmm. the afternoon game, he almost cost them a tie game, and what could have been a loss if it wasn't for Matt Murray. And he came right back out and played just as many minutes last night. So obviously, um, and and Pittsburgh, and he, you know, it clearly Keith felt comfortable with. What he had and you know he knew that he made that turnover but it wasn't going to cost him any minutes so yeah and and obviously he played well last night i will give it to him there
0: is mitch marner you know joining the superstar conversation
1: um i as a biased person i would have said he was in the superstar conversation already but obviously we go back to playing with matthews you know he feeds off him It it could be vice versa at times, but I obviously think that he's always been a star, and now I think he's jumping that level. But obviously, he still has his warts. I'm not gonna just sit here and praise him and give him the two hand sucky sucky. Like he is, he's he's clearly got some things he's got to work on. But right now he's dialed in offensively, and he's you know creating so many opportunities for other guys that yeah, I I think when you come to passers, he's probably. Top three in the league still.
0: Mm -hmm. Is he the Leafs MVP so far this year?
1: I would have to say so, yes. Just because Matthews, it doesn't look like himself. I mean, they're doing all this without 34 really playing like 34 in my mind, and I don't, I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, having the a heart like trophy slump. Maybe you want to call it. You know, we've seen it with guys like Taylor Hall in the past. You know, and will he get back to a more normal level? I think so, but he's not playing terrible right now, but he's just not playing like Austin Matthews, in my opinion. So I think,
0: yeah. I think got- to the fact that the Toronto Maple Leafs want to play really well defensively, and I think yeah. they are playing really well defensively as a team. And I think Austin might have been taking that on his shoulders a little bit because Matt Murray's been great. I'm not taking anything away from him, but the team is not allowing much. They're blocking shots. He has to make one to two really good saves a game. Other than that, it's been pretty easy living since Matt Murray's return from IR.
1: Yeah, and and when he had to make the big save, he does seem to do it. So yep. kudos to him. We're not gonna I'm not gonna dog him for anything. But what you know, what what is the missing piece here? If if obviously the decor is looking somewhat average, but they're obviously mm-hmm. playing like a defensive unit. What do they need to add to this team?
0: So I think you look at the team, they got really good players that I think can play playoff hockey that can translate. Aston Reese, uh, camp, obviously my guy, yarn croak. I think Holmberg is intriguing to me. He's playing well. Um, What they actually might need is another player that can create something offensively. And more than just play you know, a really solid defensive game, which I thought I'd never say, but I look at this roster now, and if you're expecting Kerfoot to produce offense, you're out to lunch, and the guy, he is what he is. Uh, he's, it's, nobody talks about the fact that he's been pretty terrible this season because the team's playing well, and it really, he's an afterthought. But if you can get another player that can create his own offense, that can create scoring opportunities, for guys like camp for other, for other players like that, it's not going to be Nick Robertson. I'm not going to have that conversation because I'm I'm sick of it. But I, I I think a a player that has a more high level of skill could be what Kyle Dubas looks into, you know, come trade deadline.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the kerfick catches the, the first bus out of, uh, right. Yeah. Out of Toronto, just with his contract being that high and, you know, obviously the lack of production. So I agree there getting a solid third line center would be great for this team because I think yeah. you build that depth down the middle. Plus if you could do it on both ends, great. But like you said, I mean, obviously getting a guy who can produce a little bit with uh, below minutes, below average minutes, I think it's definitely important. So yeah, it, it's, it's going to be interesting because some people will say they need it. Oh, they still need a D man. They still need a D man. But some, other people like you and me might think that, well, depth down the middle or a guy who's going to be able to produce in high-pressure situations is more important.
0: Hall getting these minutes and playing as well as he has, and for these young guys, they've passed the test so far. So if they're playing like this, it's it's not a must-have. It might be, but maybe it frees you up. Like I said, you could use a third-line center. Maybe you're aggressive and you go try to trade for Bo Horvath. Yeah. I would. Or Timo of Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the dream. Um, we'll or maybe see. your
0: addition is Matthew Nyes. People think he's great. I saw him play live four games. I didn't really impress me, but maybe he finds another gear. And he's got he's got those college legs. Caulfield was really good when he came into the league originally. That first couple of games. So is McCarr. Jimmy VC was good when he first jumped in. You know, when you first jump in, you don't know what you don't know, so you just play free and then you know, the league figures you out. Maybe Nyes has a really good stretch, and he can be a really productive third-line winger for the Toronto Maple Leafs.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I would I would love that, but we'll, we'll see. I don't have as maybe as much faith as other people do with, with him, mm-hmm. but who knows. Um, going right from a guy who played in college and who's obviously playing really well on a first line, how about Matty Bernier and the Seattle Kraken, your guys –
0: I, I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. I mean, I I love this team. I, I I thought they'd be good. Like I didn't think they'd be this good. You know, point, you know, points percentage in the national hockey, League, it goes Boston, New Jersey, <laughs> Vegas, <laughs> Seattle and then your Leafs. I thought Toronto would be in that list. I didn't think Boston would or the other four teams, quite frankly. So I, I'm impressed with them because Grubauer has hardly played. It's been Martin Jones a whole year. Oh yeah. Your defense core is playing tough. I think Hackstall, I give him credit because he could have been a coach that's weak and he had to play Shane Wright. He plays a team he's not as comfortable with. He's playing who he thinks he should play. It's worked out. McCann, Matty Beneers, Jordan Eberle since coming back has been a super, had a kid and he's been a superstar ever since pop out another one. Uh, you know, he's, we have so many guys that can score, you know, so many guys that can score on a given night that there isn't pressure on one individual to be a superstar player.
1: Yeah. And I I think you might've mentioned it, but their best player, in my opinion, the guy who's been really carrying a lot of load, Andre Burakowski, the new guy, Yeah, you know, you would have thought, Hey, I got my ring. I got my second ring, I guess. I got my contract. I don't really have to work that hard. I'm, I don't know anybody anything. I don't know, you know, Ron. Um, I don't know Ron Francis anything. And he's been putting in work and he's been working his ass off. So kudos to him. He's He's been great. That top line, like you said, has been good with Ebs. In um, 75% of teams who are in a playoff spot on uh, American Thanksgiving end up in the playoffs. So there's a good yeah. chance that they're, we're, we're going to see the first Seattle Kraken playoff run. And uh, yeah, and like like you said, Martin Jones. Kudos to him. I thought his career was done two three years ago, mm-hmm. and he's been able to elevate it and play well. And yeah, I mean it's 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 been an interesting year. I didn't like you. You definitely changed my opinion on them early, but at the beginning of the year, I would have had them as a lottery team again.
0: Right. They still could be. I think they'll I think they'll compete the whole year. I don't see them being that bad. I just think they'll, they'll compete, in particular because the Canucks. I mean, this is crazy, but the Canucks are a point back of the Flames.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's and tough. That's it, tough. Yeah, that's a it's a tough look for all Vancouver fans right now. as they you know they skid by and their and their wins their their wins are skidding by like you know yeah. what I mean? They're not like we're not they're not winning two three goals like they're in overtime or they're winning by one goal in regulation. Like it's crazy to think that this team is just piss like piss poor defensively, honestly. For the Flames,
0: they welcome Matthew Kachuk back for the first time tonight, which should be fun. He's never energetic, so I'm just assuming it won't be <laughs> too rowdy. Yeah. Do you expect them to boo him tonight?
1: I don't I, I, I don't – yeah. Yeah, yeah. They prob, they'll probably give him the gears. I was going to go the other, opposite direction because I was thinking about Huberto in Florida and the tummy sticks going on there and everybody loves everybody, all hugs and kisses. Right. But you know what? I think they, I, I, cause obviously, you know, Huberto didn't ask for out of Florida, Matthew Kachuk asked out of Calgary. So Calgary, they're, I mean, all uh, people out West when it comes to hockey are crazy because there's nothing to do out West besides ride a horse farm and play hockey and freeze uh, and, and freeze your ass off. You know, that firsthand from last yeah. year.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I, I think that it's going to be nuts. And I think that he will receive his fair share of criticism, but, it's not his fault for wanting out either. I mean, they didn't have the playoff success that he hoped, and he saw he saw a better opportunity with another team. You can't really blame him for that. But does he does? Can Calgary fans feel differently? Absolutely. That's their only right.
0: Yeah, I think he will, for right or wrong. He he did it better than Gaudreau. Like if he gets booed tonight, Gaudreau should really get booed because he screwed them royally and he took yeah. golf and Columbus over. You know, a team that could potentially compete for a championship, but I think that'll be a fun game, fun game tonight between, between those two teams. MVP after two months, NHL, who would it be?
1: I know who you're going to say. I know who you are going to say. I, I got to give it to, I got to give it to your boy. I'll I'll say JSo, old (laughs) old Robo. He's he's playing great hockey. You said he's on the best line. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to go back and forth, but he's got 19 tucks already.
0: Yeah, not that
1: like win. He could win the rocket in his – this is his third year? Third or yeah. fourth year? Third year. Like, yeah, that's impressive. Like, it, he's, he's not a guy I had in an MVP candidate, but uh, I'm telling people right now, put some cash on this guy because he's playing unbelievable, great line in Dallas. You know, you would have thought, oh, they lost Klingberg, but they picked up guys in the back end. You know they picked up Martin, your boy Mason Marshman, who I know you love. Big no, grinder love he's, a, love yeah, he's a he's a heavy guy, but he plays unbelievably strong. And with with like and gotta give to Jamie Ben too. You know, he's, and that's my last comment. Jamie Bent's had a comeback year, regardless yep. of what line he's on, and he is playing like a true leader on this team.
0: Yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, Jason Robertson, come on, he's a pretty good player. So he's. <laughs> Also, also got my vote. Who's playing better, Celtics or Leafs? Oh God, Celtics!
1: You put their te- You put like they've lost to two teams this year. Yeah, you know the two the Bulls, teams. The Bulls have their number. The Bulls in Cleveland are the only two teams that can beat the Boston Celtics right now. Right. I mean, it, it's just been unbelievable nine game nine game winning stretch in November. Um, they just find ways to win. They played Blake Griffin at a center position last night. And I'm like, okay, this probably isn't going to go the way I want it to, but yeah, they, they just find it. They find it every night. Um, they can pass, they make plays for each other. They're solid defensively and they're going to get Robert Williams back, the time Lord. And uh, when he, when he does, it could be, it could be very devastating for the league. Um, who is the closest to them right now in the league as a whole? Bucks. Yeah, I feel the same. That's who I had written down.
0: It's the only yeah. team I think's even
1: close. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, like, I look at the teams in the West, and they're too spotty. They're, they don't, they don't string enough games together, and they don't play enough consistency like the, the these two teams do.
0: I can honestly say this: I don't think there's a even a yet. I don't even know if there's a good team in the West yet. Yeah. Good. I'm not I saying I'm, I'm not sure because they're all the same record. Phoenix, yeah. maybe, but I like I. Chris Paul's hurt every damn game. Like I need him to play, which I don't bank on. So I, everybody's 12 and eight.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone, it seems like they win two, three games. And then if you like Utah, Utah jazz, yeah. you lose five straight. Yeah. Like that's, and you're kind of right back to square one with this team. Same with your King. Uh, we we're, we're going to be a sack town uh, pod from now right. on, by the way, we're going to we're going to knock them down every Tuesday. Yeah. They win. won three, they won three, or sorry, opposite. They've lost three straight, yeah. but I still have faith in them. They're interesting because they've got a good bench. The Malik Monk is unbelievable coming off the bench. This guy can rip 30, 25, no problem. And at the same time, this, this shoddy defensive team, yeah. but I, I want them to win. I'm, I'm all on the sack town. You got me on these guys this year. Yeah,
0: it's good bandwagon to be on because God, they're a good league pass by. My God, they play. They're just they're fun to watch. Like I will say that as I, I joke about Sacktown, but they're they're fun. Um, the Mavs. I'm worrying about the Mavs. I wasn't big on the Mavs for the year. Well, I had Walker on. He loves the Mavs because he likes Luka and he big likes, even go. likes likes Lebron and he likes all those. You know, he likes the the scratch teams. You know, I I like rooting for the underdog, but the teams that nobody likes, but like Sacktown, But it's Luka and a bunch of Jags, just guys. I, yeah, always chilling. I, they're, again, they're like everybody in the West, but I just don't see this team elevating that much for, like he's averaging a triple-double a game. He's playing out of his mind, Luke, and they're still, they're below 500.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about bringing someone in, right? But, like, how how do you bring someone in with nothing? Like, you don't have anything to trade, right? Like, their picks, some of their picks are locked in. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be difficult because you could argue who's their second best player?
0: It's not Christian Wood. It's not no. Christian Wood. It stinks. Yeah. Uh... <sighs> Bullock?
1: <laughs> maybe that would that would have been my first choice but i mean he isn't he's a better option than most guys it's not tim hardway jr it's not witty Dinwiddie. i don't think it's Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie uh maybe but still like that if you're mentioning those guys and you have a hard time saying it there's a real problem on the team and luca's got to look around and say do i want to stink it up here for the next three years four years while my contract runs out or mm-hmm. do i want to win and i mean it's great they're gonna give him a great deal i'm sure cuban will pay him whatever he wants there's a blank check with his name on it when he gets out of there but you do have to look around and say you know what what am i going to do if i can't win like obviously it's it's great to get paid it's great to be one of the best players in the league but at the end of the day you got to sacrifice some personal statistics and personal gain in order to be a competitive team and at the same time we said this i'm saying all this but obviously like they went to the conference final last year, so it's not yeah. like they're made of shit. Like I, I do think they're a good team. They just need to add someone to to it to just to be competitive, but I don't know, even know who you would go and grab.
0: Does all this chaos in the West benefit the Warriors the most?
1: I think so, because at the end of the day, they're just going to pull right out of this and probably be like a fourth-fifth seed. And probably be, I don't know, right, they could be right back in there. They don't have the same team as last year, I'll say that. yeah I've I've watched them a couple times this year, some late games, and they just don't have that same structure on their bench. You know, their Wiseman's now playing in the G League. I mean, that's obviously been a, a really big flop for a pick for them, and I think they have to wear that. But at the same time, they do need to make some kind of change but at the same time like you're like you said like they can they can flop and have a bad first half of the season i think they'll just pull it right out because they're all veterans they've all been through this before and they're going yeah. to probably get into a fourth of the seed just like they were last year
0: confidence level in november 0 to 100 celtics gotcha. win the title
1: my confidence is at a solid 90 90 no, no, yes, 90. Not, not going over 90. I don't want to say 91,
0: 92. I like, I like it. You're very I, confident, though. Very confident.
1: I am just because they have that experience now. It's like, okay, like they've done it before. May, has Tatum learned his lesson? You got to hope so. Has, you know, has Marcus Smart found out a way to play more consistent in the playoffs? Yes. Has Grant Williams approved as a player? He's only 23. He's been in the league for five years. For which, I know. He, he looks like he's he looks like he's thirty with his cut, uh, but he he's he's still a young pup who's really learning his way around the league. Mm-hmm. And if you, you're they're playing all this well, like I said, without Robert Williams, who I think if you just let him be healthy, right? Like you let him get as healthy as possible, and you bring him in, and you dominate, which you know we, we, they can do. Obviously, um, he was banged up in the playoffs last year, and he still played magnificent. Magnificent. So. Yeah, I, I think you do that. You still worry about teams like um, – you still worry about teams like Milwaukee who are Miami. just as banged up in some ways. And I don't even think Gonis has really hit a peak this season yet. So if he oh. if he really gets to where he's supposed to, plus you've got guys coming back, I think they're going to be your biggest threat. I'm not scared of Miami. I'm not scared of Philly. I'm not scared of Brooklyn. So, yeah, it, it's, it's about that and then how good the team you're going to meet in the playoffs is, which – can be questionable with uh, the way we've seen the start of the season on that side.
0: What do you got coming up this weekend? Any big plans?
1: No plans. I got a, a couple friends visiting the, the home the homestead on, um, on Friday, got a, got a nice, going to be a nice little dog, Alfie uh, golden retriever. And nice. I think I'm going to watch my brother play maybe in Hampton on Saturday. That's not, that's not official, but it'd be nice to see him Get a little puck in, um, and just, you're going to love this. Get the Christmas tree up, because I know you love Christmas.
0: I, it's a little early, no?
1: Uh, the first of December. I mean, you're you're kind of entering that territory where you can kind of kind of think about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, what do you
1: well, – like, I, I don't know. Like, I see – I know I trip people after November uh, – sorry, after Remembrance Day, you know, throwing up the tree, not even letting the soldiers – know fully be saluted yet but right i think when you hit december it's appropriate timing and i think most people start to see them get their trees because it's a scramble right oh you know if if you're if you're like us it's like we don't go out and cut a tree which is maybe another debate for another podcast but it's like okay we got to get a good tree now and then they're all getting taken up so there's that panic right at the beginning of december
0: yeah i had a joke there but i'm not going to say it uh <laughs> okay <laughs> I'll save that for after the podcast, but oh, I had a joke. Um it's hurting me not to say it, but um I Yeah, I mean I would just I think it's a bit much, the whole Christmas tree and everything, but you I would
1: press, you would do a full click you know the movie click and for listening out there you would click skip right over christmas wouldn't you
0: i would 100 percent. yeah
1: yeah i could see you you adam sandler and the whole gang the grinch the scrooge all you guys
0: me and jim carrey sandman all can hang out just yeah sandman yeah exactly just uh just one big skipper how about if you don't have any gifts wrapped you can't put a tree up
1: so, so your your thought is your presents have to be bought before you get the tree.
0: Yeah, because why put the tree up if you can't put anything under it?
1: Yeah, but people people love the idea of seeing and presenting their tree to other people. It's just I, I don't know, like I can't describe it. It's just their that's their thought process. I I understand where you're coming from. Too. Do you enjoy
0: decorating it?
1: Not necessarily. I let that go to my significant other. I'm more I'm more the guy who puts it up gets the water going i'm the big clean guy because we do a natural we're, we're all natural here so
0: i'm right. always
1: underneath the tree getting it looking tidy before guests come over get the christmas <laughs> you know get the things underneath oh the cats right. clawing at the tree we'll get, get it to swat the cat away i'm that guy i'm not the decorations guy
0: okay i'll
1: leave that to another department
0: right, right. No, that's fair no i uh People should put up their trees. So I'm a Scrooge. I, uh, I don't. I don't put one up. I, my mother. I helped my mother put hers in the other day, which was,
1: God. Hey, you, the Browning points though for doing that. Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. It was thank yous and give me a hug and you know that crap. But I mean, that's enough. Of that. not enough. Not enough love. You know, There's enough love in the world. Christmas. God. But um, no, good to hear about the Christmas and the hockey and the. Little dogs, so happy oh, to hear. I've been here about that, but no. Have a good rest of the week.
1: There's there is one thing I got to announce because I'm a I'm oh. a minor or minor award. Um, fortunately, I will I will not be getting my three letters. Um, I said last week. I said win or lose, uh, I'll announce it on the pod. I did not pass. Um, I partially passed my exam, which was a huge devastation to me and how I felt about myself this weekend, but. At the same time, I know that uh, I'll get back on it. So I, I know I, I, said it last week. I would announce it either way. So I had to, I had to say something.
0: Well, good on you. You didn't have to do that, but uh, we're all behind you here, and you'll, we'll, you'll kill it the next time. So we, we know Appreciate that. You. But uh, have a great weekend. We'll be talking to you this week, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Best of luck to you and Beamer on uh, Friday. I, yes. Take Should it easy. On, take, take it easy on my guy. I know he's been going through a rough one. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: buddy. Sounds good. See you, buddy. There's Seamus Film. Always a pleasure to talk to him on a Tuesday. As you just mentioned, Ben Wright, will, uh, Ben Murray will be on here on Thursday. He uh, hasn't been on in a minute, but it was his birthday yesterday. So happy belated birthday to Benny. Great friend and great friend of the show. We'll talk about a lot of different things coming up on Thursday. Tomorrow, we'll react to a lot of the things happening tonight, Flames and Panthers, Golden State, Dallas, and the NBA, uh, Boston's in Tampa tonight. A lot of intriguing stuff around the world. We'll recap the World Cup tomorrow. We'll talk all things happening in the world of sports. Until then, take care, everybody. This is To The Point.